Let us pray. Great, gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise on this early Easter morning. So reminiscent of that time when the ladies went early to the tomb, not knowing exactly what to expect, but more than likely expecting just to find a dead body. What a surprise and what a joy it was to find out that their king had beaten death. Because Jesus has won the victory over death and over the grave, we too claim that same victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. The book of Revelation may seem like a strange place to find something about the resurrection. But in this last week when I was doing some Bible reading, some Bible study, I came across some interesting verses. In Revelation chapter 5, in the first four verses, it says this, and this is John, the apostle, speaking. He said, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven... No one on earth, no one under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside of it. I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Now in these verses, John is looking at the end times. He's watching them kind of unfold before his very eyes. And at this point, he starts becoming overcome by anxiety and fear and desperation because he just doesn't know how things are going to end. From John's very limited earthly perspective, it seems as if destiny hangs in the balance because there is nobody that's worthy to come and open these seven seals of the scroll of judgment which would vindicate the redeemed of all ages. He says there's no one under heaven and that would be the dominion of God. There's no one on earth, that's the dominion of man. And he says there's no one even under the earth, the dominion of Satan, who is found capable of completing this task. And so here stands John, much like these women, much like everyone else on Easter morning, having gone through some intense persecution, countless battles with religious leaders and the Romans with Satan, and he is reduced to tears because he's uncertain about the outcome. In fact, the text says, at this point, John wept. That's a very kind of weak translation because in the Greek it literally says, I sobbed and I wailed loudly. Now, if you had been there on that first Easter morning, you would not see the women running to the tomb singing, I know that my Redeemer lives. In typical Mideast fashion, they would have gone weeping and wailing. But friends, the things of God are often far different from the way they appear to us from our earthly perspective. We can't always see the end. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it goes on and it says this, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, 
encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Not if you caught that. There was a little bit of change there because one of the worshiping elders comes up and puts his hand on John's shoulder and he says, don't cry. Look, there's the lion. And John looks and he says, yes, there's the lamb. Now who's right? Who's wrong? Now the problem is not John's eyesight. It's entirely John's perspective. What he sees is correct, but what he understands is incorrect. See, the problem is, the man who was weeping had his eyes on the problem. The one who was worshiping had his eyes on the solution. Let me ask you this question, friends. Have you ever felt hopeless and helpless and a little bit overwhelmed? Probably it's because you don't know the end of the story. So before any of us would ever chide the disciples for their unbelief, before any of us would ever kind of berate the disciples for their lack of vision and not, and maybe scold them for not even hanging around for, uh, to see the miracle on the first Easter morning, you need to remember that you did not go through the agony that they did. You were not there on the Friday when Jesus died. The disciples and these ladies did not have some sort of an inspiring drama. They had no stirring concerts. They had no wonderful Easter sunrise service or Easter breakfast or egg rolls or anything like that. They had never been to an Easter Sunday service in their entire life. The only thing they knew was a Friday, which was far, far from good. They had been with Jesus on that last supper. When Jesus turned and looked and said, somebody here is going to betray me, and suddenly they all began to ask, is it I? They were there with him in the garden when he prayed so long and so intently that they actually fell asleep. They were there when Judas actually came and betrayed him, and probably suddenly they said, wow, that's what he was talking about at this Last Supper. They tried to defend him, but how could they do so against a legion of Roman soldiers? But then suddenly there was a little bit of hope because Jesus said, I could pray to my father and he would send 12 legions of angels. But then their hope kind of disappeared when Jesus said, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled? They followed Jesus at a distance. They kind of lurked back in the shadows as he was put through the mockery of six different trials between night and morning. They heard everyone with their fabricated evidence and with their downright lies and their hearts sunk as they heard that guilty verdict as he stood before Annas, the high priest, and before Caiaphas, and before the Sanhedrin, and before Pilate, and before Herod, and then finally before Pilate one more time. They had seen Jesus scourged until he could no longer stand under his own power. His skin literally ripped off in huge gaping patches. They had seen that makeshift crown of thorns pressed into his scalp until his face was dripping with blood. And they had seen him slapped and punched until he was almost beyond human recognition. I mean, they had hoped against hope that when Jesus was paraded out in front of the people, that those thousands of people who had heard him teach or those hundreds of people who had been healed by him would have stood up and said, let him go. But instead, under the growing influence of the mob and pushed by the Sanhedrin, what happened? They turned a convicted murderer loose. And they screamed at Jesus, crucify him. 
the disciples had stood there, and they were probably engulfed by this huge mob, and maybe they even feared for their own life. And they stood there as Jesus was nailed to that cross and then hoisted in the air, left to hang naked and humiliated as he writhed in pain. They'd watched his labored breathing and his groans of pain, fully aware that crucifixion was really death by suffocation. They heard that last cry, it is finished, but to their ears it probably sounded more like, I am finished. They were there when that Roman soldier shoved that spear through his rib cage, which is really the final sign that said, this man is dead. They were there when they took that unrecognizable body off of that cross and laid him on that cold ground. They were part of a weeping, mourning, grieving procession that carried Jesus not to his own grave, but to a borrowed tomb. They were there when that huge stone was rolled into place, and they had to take that long, long, long walk home to a life that they'd enjoyed for three years, but no longer existed. How do you think you'd feel after watching that? Have you ever felt hopeless and overwhelmed or trapped or helpless? That's simply because, like Paul Harvey would say, you don't know the rest of the story. See, heaven's script of the ages is called the mystery of God in Revelation chapter 10. It's because Satan couldn't even understand it. I mean, Satan is powerless to change what was about to happen, but, you know, he has tried to convince us ever since that first Easter that we have to remain in the dark as much as he is left in the dark. But friends, God has given us a key. God has given us a key called worship that changes our perspective on heavenly things. Now, Satan can't even begin to understand it because he lost his keys years ago. He lost all access to the purposes of God the moment that he rebelled. In fact, Scripture alludes to the fact that Satan perhaps was the worship leader in heaven. And he lost all access to that when he turned against God. But you know, ever since, he has been frantically trying to bluff his way to victory, trying to trick us and trip us up ever since. You know what I like about worship? And it's not just Easter Sunday worship, but it's anytime you get a chance to get together with God's people. You know, whether you come back at 10 o'clock this morning for a festival service, whether you come back here to First Lutheran on Friday the 4th and listen to River in concert as they're going to lift you to the point of worship. You know, the really great thing about worship is that it lifts you up to God's perspective. And the higher you rise in worship, the smaller the devil and the smaller his kingdom look. And see, when you begin to see things from heaven's perspective, then the one opening the scroll which controls the ages is not just a slain lamb, it suddenly becomes a roaring lion. That's who we worship today, a slain lamb who turned into a roaring lion. And see, once John understood this, he was free to worship. See, friends, Jesus was not just the lamb slain in Revelation 5 or the lamb hung on a cross at Calvary. He was the lamb that was slain very literally from the foundations of the earth. His temporary defeat, you understand that? His temporary defeat 
had always been part of God's plan for ultimate victory. And guess what? Satan was so stupid that he took the bait. You know that? Satan was that dumb that he took the bait. And after Calvary, Satan and his followers had just three short days to probably jump up and down with absolute glee and celebrating that they had killed God's latest prophet when suddenly what happened? God walked into hell. That must have been a surprise, don't you suppose? Satan probably stood there and said, God, what on earth are you doing here? You said that since the fall of man, death and hell and the grave were mine, who gives you the authority to come in here? And God would have said, hey, don't you know? You gave me the authority when you crucified me at Calvary. Well, I bet Satan screamed, what do you mean? That was just another prophet named Jesus. And God says, no, that was not just another prophet. It was me. And you know, at that moment, you know, Satan knows scriptures. Satan knows scriptures probably better than you and I because he can really twist them. I bet you at that moment, there were some scriptures that may have popped into his mind, scriptures that had gnawed at him for years. Maybe something like Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Or maybe he already knew James 2.19 that says, You believe that there is one God? Good, because even the demons believe that. But they've got the good sense to shudder and shake. You see, friends, on Good Friday, all Satan did the day he killed the lamb was unveil the lion. And what he didn't know has been revealed to us by God's Holy Spirit. The book of Revelation, chapter 1, starts this way, verses 17 and 18, John speaking again. He said, When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and hell. You ever stop and think about this, friends? If Satan doesn't even have the keys to his own kingdom, how can he possibly lock us up? He can't even lock up his own home. See, Jesus has the absolute power over physical death. Jesus has absolute power over spiritual death. When he said to that thief on the cross over 2,000 years ago, today you'll be with me in paradise, he was speaking about the place of the dead. The place of the dead had been under the control of Satan since the fall way back in the Garden of Eden. But see, Jesus went through death into the grave and snatched the keys right out of Satan's hands. He came out with the keys to both death and life. He came out with the keys to heaven and hell. One more Old Testament piece of prophecy. In the book of Ezekiel, in the 37th chapter, the 13th verse, it says, Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord 
when I open your grave and bring you up from it. Friends, I'm here to announce this morning, not only has Christ risen from the grave, but Satan is powerless over you. And if Satan is powerless in the realm of death, then he is certainly powerless in the realm of life. The only power that Satan has left is his power of deception. But if you remember that when Jesus came back and appeared those 50-some days with the disciples, those 40-some days on the day of Pentecost, he said, I'm going to leave now and I'm going to give you someone. I'm going to leave behind the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, that if, if you are truly a Christ follower, if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you. I always think of him as the resident president. That's the Holy Spirit. He now gives you the power to resist Satan's deception. I couldn't say it to the ladies on that first Easter. I don't know that I would have said it anyway. But I might say it to some of you today, friends. Stop crying and start worshiping. Christ the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, victorious over sin and death, over suffering and shame, over all evil and wrong. Lord Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, overcoming by the power of love, by patient trust and perseverance, by faith in God alone. Lord Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, proving that nothing can separate us from God's love, showing us how far that love will go, and suffering for the sins of the world. Lord Jesus, we greet you, risen from the dead, and we offer you our thanks and our praise our prayers and our worship, our devotion and our service. Lord Jesus, we greet you and we pray to you and we pray through you and we pray with joy and confidence as you taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.